is going on, football fans? Back at it with the third installment of the Mike and Tana podcast. And uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, a lot going on right now in the New York Giants world. The horrible season finally ended as the Giants finished 4-13. They'll have the fifth and seventh picks. But as you, a lot of you guys may know, there's huge changes uh, in the front office. And we'll jump into the GM search, the head coaching search, the decision to move on from Judge, Maris press conference. And uh, it's going to be a good show. And then and then we're going to dive into some broad NFL as well, where we're going to go over the, the uh, playoff games this week. We'll go over the spread, some of the games we like, some of the games we don't. But, Mike, what's going on, man? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. We got, um, you know, NFL playoffs. Uh, the Giants are finally doing things right. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm so happy the season's over. I couldn't sit through much more of uh, <laughs> the Mike Lennon and, and Jake Fromm games. It was ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's all good. It seems like the Giants might be uh, trending in the right direction, which we love hearing and uh, should be a fun week of uh, Wild Card Weekend. Yeah, you say they're trending in the right direction. Let's let's talk about that, like how they've screwed this up in the past and how, how they finally got it right. Like. I, I even said it on Twitter leading up to this. 2016 was strike one when you had the opportunity to fire Reese and you didn't do it. You stuck with Reese. You fired Coughlin. 2019, I think we both kind of agreed they probably should have stuck with Shermer and then blown it up after 2020 had things not started to work out. But once you fired Shermer, strike two was not also firing Gettleman with him and then, bring, and then bringing in uh, Joe Judge to stick with Gettleman. Finally, they did it right. They had the opportunity to get him on the same timeline they did it. And not only are they getting them on the same timeline, because they did do that in 2018, but not only are they getting them on the same timeline, they're actually doing an extensive search. The last time around, it was two Giants, a former Giant, and a guy from ESPN. This time around, you're going to have nine outsiders from nine really good organizations, and they're all really young. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But let's first start with the decision to move on. We knew Gettleman was going to retire. So that, to me, isn't even newsworthy. The one thing I do want to say, though, Mike, actually, before we even jump into the judge thing, what's crazy to me when you really think about this, the venom from the fan base, it's like oh, everybody just forgot about Gettleman. And i that's the part where I feel the worst for Judge is the fact that Joe Judge is getting all the venom from the fan base or at least got all the venom from the fan base before he was fired. Um, my line of reasoning for that is what I just said, like Gettleman was like built in, like we knew. We knew he was gone after week three or week four, and I think the fan base knew they had the pressure ownership if they were going to move on from Joe Judge. But I just think that that's kind of funny that Joe Judge was the one that took the brunt of the responsibility, even though that probably shouldn't have been the case. Yeah, it stems from John Mara for hiring the wrong people, but it also stems from Dave Gettleman way more than Joe Judge. I mean, Joe Judge had only two off seasons here, so it wasn't like he had the most time. It wasn't even his quarterback. It wasn't his second overall pick with Barkley. It's not, you know, I can't blame Joe Judge for why the roster is not good. That's I, I have to start there. But, you know, Joe Judge, I think, proved enough, uh, enough to us where it's like, okay, there's there's a lot of question marks and a lot of negative signs where this guy might not be a head coach. You know, whether it was even week one challenging the scoring play, um, you know, going back to the fourth down calls and not going for it when he should, when he should be aggressive, he's not, and vice versa. And the rant he went on after the Chicago game kind of did him in, it seems like. And then, you know, to top it all off, Terry on top, you know, two quarterback sneaks inside your own five-yard line when it wasn't very necessary, obviously. The Giants are 4-12 and 12 at that point. What do you have to lose? And, you know, who cares if you get safety at that point? What well, I don't know. But just it just seemed very unlikely at this point that John Mara can really look Joe Judge in the eyes and say, I still think you are the guy. And it's hard for him to sell us as Giants fans 
that this is still the head coach that's going to lead us in the right direction. And honestly, it was tough to imagine Joe Judge on the Giants' sidelines in 2022. I just think so many fans were just out to get him in a way. And you talked about Gettleman. We've known for a very long time that this is most likely his last year, definitely gone after the season. So there wasn't much to say about him, honestly. Even me, a person that's criticized Gettleman more than anybody, I was kind of done with him after uh, that Falcons game week three. So, you know, for Judge... It seemed like it was very likely he was coming back at one point. Then it got to 50-50. Then it got to 75-25. He wasn't coming back. So we kept trending in that direction. And I think the fans got what they wanted. There are a few people that think Joe Judge got a, a raw deal, which is true. It's not all his fault. No one's saying that. But when you show you're not the right head coach, and I think they're making the right decision. It does suck to fire three coaches after two years. But if you don't have the right guy, then why are you going to prolong the inevitable? So, Yeah, I mean, for me – it, had they done the right thing when they fired Shermer and fired Gettleman, which is what they should have done if they decided to fire Shermer, I wouldn't have been as strongly for firing Joe Judge after just two years. Had you had a GM that came in with him that handpicked Joe Judge, I probably would have been like, let's give him a third year. Like, there's there's things that happened this year. There's a ton of injuries, yada, yada, yada. But the fact that he was going to potentially prevent the best GM from taking this job, that's was that was when it became as clear as day to me that you had to move on from him because what are you going to do, Mike? You're going to bring back a lame duck head coach for a third year. The one thing I guess it does do for the new GM coming in, it takes all the pressure off him and he can just build the roster the way that he wants. And then he could hire his replacement the following year. But Joe judge was never going to be here long-term. I think once you moved on from Dave Gettleman, unless the team really turned the corner, which I think we both agree probably is not going to happen going into next year. You have a ton of, ton of injuries on this team. You can't expect all these guys to stay healthy next year. And I think that was the big issue. And the other thing, you know, you, you think about it, they're going to have to bring in a new offensive coordinator next year, even if they keep Judge. And what good offensive coordinator is going to want to take a job knowing that more than likely he's going to be looking for a new one the next year? Because Joe Judge is a lame duck coach. And I think ownership took all this into account. And I think they realized that, yeah. And, and the other thing, Mike, when they're doing these interviews, like if you want to get like a true, honest response, if you still have Joe Judge on your roster, like we've talked about before, these guys are going to say, yeah, I'd work with him just because they know they may have to say that to get the job. And I think that had something to do with it as well. I think it was the right thing to do before they even started to conduct these interviews to let the general managers know coming in here, this is going to be your show. You're going to get to pick exactly what everything is going to happen from within this organization. Yeah, they just they finally did it the right way. And and I've said this before. This when they when I got the notification that Judge was fired, it was literally the happiest I've been about the Giants in about three or four years. And that's pretty sad, honestly, just for a coach getting fired. But it just made me realize okay, Gettleman's gone, head coach is gone. This is finally the chance we have to do this thing the right way. And it still has to be seen because we don't know who the GM is right now, but we'll get to it later. Some of the candidates have really stuck out, um, stuck off the page to us. And it's not like a typical Giants GM search where, as you mentioned, it's like three in-house guys and then Lewis Riddick. It's like, okay, that's not that's like a, the most half-assed GM search you could ever have in GM search history. Now we're bringing in like nine candidates. Guys are coming from great organizations. And it's like now we're actually doing this the right way. Does it suck? It took an extra three, four, five years to finally do it. Yes, but as they say, it's better late than never. So hopefully in the next couple of years or so, we'll get the real New York Giants back and not the garbage we've watched here the past few years. Few years? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's being nice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been like 10 to 12 years. But uh last it's really since our last Super Bowl. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on before we jump into the GM candidates and potential head coach candidates and everything else. 
is John Mara and, and the press conference that he had. And we talk about how, you know, we're happy that John Mara is changing his ways. It looks like a completely different approach. He's bringing in outsiders. You still have members of the media and still have members of the fan base, at least, you know, some that were upset about some of the things that John Mara did. Uh, the fact that Chris Mara is conducting the interviews, the fact that the press conference wasn't live. I'll talk about the Chris Mara thing first. Like, listen, in a perfect world, yeah, I want Chris Mara fired. I want them all fired. But realistically speaking, he's not going to get fired. Let's be real. And in my opinion, at least. So as long as they make the other wholesale changes, they let Joe Shane, let's just say he's the guy that gets the job, come in and make all the changes he feels necessary. Let him bring in all the scouts. That's all I could ask for as a New York Giant fan. Not everything in the world is going to be perfect. And I know he, people got on him for the not having the live press conference. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for me was John Merritt took responsibility he said he was completely at fault. He said it was the most embarrassing time it's been for him to be a New York Giants owner. Um, he showed a lot of humility. And to me, it it's not easy to do something like that. It's not easy to admit that you've been a complete failure. It's not easy to admit that you've made mistake after mistake after mistake. And at least he's willing to change his ways, or at least it appears to be the case. So I think it's all good for me. I know some people are still going to try to hate on Merritt. I've hated on Merritt for a long time. <laughs> I'm very encouraged by the pivot that it seems that he's made now with this organization. Well, that's the thing. I, I am the most encouraged with Mara for the first time in a long time. And, you know, I think he's made every right move since the offseason started, but the whole, like, not live streaming the press conference was weird because, you know, as I said, like, Mara has not talked in front of a microphone in, like, a year. So we wanted to see what he had to say. And, you know, you at least owe us an explanation as to what's gone on here. And it was just kind of suspicious as to why it was not live. So that's like the one part that bothered me. But he did show a lot of humility. He talked about how he thought this is rock bottom. Then the next week was rock bottom. It kept getting worse and worse, obviously. So, um, yeah, I just think he was a guy that got, a, you know, got pushed back against the wall and just finally had to make that decision. Like, I think if, if there were no fans involved, no media involved, and it was just John Mara running like his own fantasy football team, let's call it. I think he wants to just keep judge and promote Kevin Abrams and go on about his business. I really think a lot of the outside voices, even inside voices, we saw guys like um, who was like some former Giants players. Of course, Carl Banks was outspoken about the whole Giants situation. Like things had to change when people are when people like that who work for the Giants are saying these type of things. You realize like okay, things have to change. Even Michael Strahan said it um, on Sunday morning, the final week of the season, when they were like, you know, the Giants might uh, hire Kevin Abrams, and then Strahan was like, no, so. Yeah, when stuff like that happens, you know things have to change unless you're like the most uh, tone-deaf person out there, which John Merritt has shown he can be in the past. But as I said, better late than never. We're finally getting there, and I'm just super excited to see who the next GM of the Giants will be. I can't wait for the GM search to finally finish. They've already brought in five candidates, I believe, via Zoom call. They got four more coming in. And, yeah, let's kind of jump into that. And then I also want to kind of want to touch on, as we're talking about that, what players you think may be most impacted by the GM change? Because a lot of people are going to ask about what's going to happen to Daniel Jones, what's going to happen to Saquon Barkley, yada, 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 yada. But let's start with the the GM search and, and the guys that they're bringing in. And uh, let's start off first by saying the one thing that pops off the page as opposed to the last GM search, they are all from outside the New York Giants organization. They are all coming in from winning organizations. They are all 44 years or younger. So when you look at this list, you got Monte Osafort coming over from the Tennessee Titans. You got Joe Shane, like we said, he's coming over from the Bills. Adrian Wilson from the Cardinals. Quentin Harris from the Cardinals. Ryan Cowden also from the Titans. Ryan Poles coming in from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Rand Carthen coming in from the 49ers along with Adam Peters. And then you have Joe Ortiz coming over from the Baltimore Ravens. And you look at that, all really successful organizations. 
all guys with a lot of knowledge. I mean, we'll start with Ortiz at the bottom. To me, there's four uh, clear-cut frontrunners like we talked about earlier. Ortiz, to me, learned under from arguably the greatest gym in the history of football. Has been there for over 20 years. One of the better scouts for a team that you could argue was drafted as well as any organization in football over that span. The one red flag for me with him is, why isn't this guy advanced? Common sense would tell you he's been there for 20 years. He's been with a great organization. You would think by now he'd been picked up somewhere in terms of being an assistant GM. Maybe he's just content being where he is, though. And maybe, you know, that he impresses the New York Giants, gets the job. But obviously, definitely a lot to show there. Adam Peters from the 49ers, to me, might be the favorite to get this job. Uh, you know, you look into this guy coming over from the Denver Broncos, helped build a Super Bowl roster there. Everything you hear from within the 49ers organization, once I started to do some research, they love this guy. They love him so much they had to create a position to keep him. They made him the assistant general manager. They didn't have that before he was going out for general manager uh, interviews last time around. And a lot of people feel like he's going to be the guy that inevitably replaces John Lynch. So he's a guy I'm definitely interested in for sure. Ryan Poles is a sleeper for me. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, former offensive lineman, supposedly the right-hand man to the GM they got over there. And you saw what they were able to do with their offensive line this year. You have to think he had at least something to do with it. They basically fixed their offensive line in one season. He's been there for 12 years. Um, and again, coming from a very you know established organization. And then the other guy, uh, you know, Joe Shane, who I think is one in 1A with the fan base in terms of him, him and Adam Peters as the guy that they want. Shane's another really interesting candidate. Uh, he's got ties with Barcells. We know with the Miami Dolphins. He's been in the league for a long time. Started with the Carolina Panthers. And now he's found his way over with Bean. And that was the first thing that Bean did when he got to Buffalo was hire Joe Shane to be his assistant GM. Buffalo had not made the playoffs for 17 years before they got there. Now they've made it four to the last five. And you look at the way all these guys have had a lot of good draft picks. My one red flag with Buffalo when I really looked into him, I suppose, the offensive line to me still struggles. They don't run the ball that well. Um, and I don't think Shane was there for the 2017 draft. They got there in 2018 when they took Josh Allen. But regardless, a really good candidate. Made a lot of good draft picks with Carolina as well. So I'd be in love with all four of those candidates. The other ones, I'd be okay with. I mean, they're better than Gettleman. And, you know, obviously, no matter who they hire, I'm going to give them a strong chance, and we'll see what head coach they bring in. Yeah, none of these guys, like if they hired them, I'd be like, oh my God, such a terrible hire. It's you got to wait and see for everybody. Obviously, as a fan, there's guys that we know about more than others. Like, I'll be honest, a week ago, I had no idea who Ryan Poles was, but watching some of him last night, I'm like, oh, this guy's actually, you know, has a vision. He's a well spoken guy, former offensive line uh, player with uh, Matt Ryan at Boston College, and he's coming from the Chiefs. So, like, you love that stuff. So, yeah, there's a few guys like, you know, Rand Carthon, Carthon, uh, Quentin Harris, Cowden. Like, th those guys would be surprising, even Adrian Wilson if they got the job. But you go to like that next tier of Joe Shane, Hortiz, Peters, um, you know, even Osen Ford, if you want to put him in there, polls. Like, those guys I can actually see getting the job here. And just looking at some of the teams they've came have come from, um, you know, Joe Shane with Buffalo. I mean, when he came there in 2018, they were not known as like a great team. They were kind of like a middling, mediocre type team. They draft Josh Allen, which was a risk. I mean, look, when you take a, a big arm quarterback out of Wyoming, it's like you're taking a shot there and it's worked out very well. Um, they do have a good coach there in McDermott, but still they've made a lot of great personnel moves. You brought up the offensive line. It's not 
it's not great. It's not terrible. It's just kind of like average, maybe slightly below average. They have to run the ball better. But, you know, I think the Bills have been, you know, they've put themselves in a position where they're like a top five Super Bowl contender, maybe top seven being fair. But um, that's a great team, of course. And you talked about Hortiz with Baltimore. I mean, what better team to model yourself after than the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, it's been since my lifetime as a football fan, they always have a great roster. I've talked about how they went from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson in one season or in the middle of the season and completely made it work. It's a you know very innovative organization to go from Flacco to Lamar and make that one work out. So that's always impressive. And they just have great players over there. So um, that's always intriguing. And you go to a guy like Adam Peters, who is my personal favorite. Um, he's a guy I researched last year because I thought Gettleman might get fired in 2020. That didn't happen. But for Adam Peters, you just talk about, you know, the, the, um, when he did in uh, for Denver, where you know they went to a Super Bowl, two Super Bowls, won one of them, and apparently he had a, a large say in some of what they did over there. Then he goes to the 49ers, and he's you mentioned they had to like make him a uh, his own position basically because they were so afraid to lose this guy. And I think once that 49ers fans saw that Adam Peters was getting interviews. They were like freaking out. They like don't want to lose this guy. Apparently, he's like the mastermind behind what the 49ers have done here in recent years. He was a guy that loved Trey Lance. We'll see how he turns out, of course. But I don't know. I just like Adam Peters. He's more of like an out-of-the-box guy, younger guy, positional value guy, which is stuff I look for uh, Look for at a GM. So, yeah, a lot of these guys are exciting, but it's just a lot different from 2017. So, that's all I have to say. It's just much better. It seems like they're finally doing it the right way. It's a much better process. And, you know, we'll find out what happens in these interviews. I think the interviews might conclude on Monday, I think, with the 49ers guys. I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhere. So hopefully in the coming days or maybe a week or so, we'll find out who, in fact, that GM is. But there are some great names on here that's definitely worth getting exciting over or excited. Yeah, for sure. I'm a huge Peters guy myself. And, and another player that people said that he was really responsible for was Kittle who they got in the mm. fifth round. So, uh, you know, I've read that as well, that he was the driving force behind the George Kittle pick. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people think he should be the GM over John Lynch in San Francisco. That's how highly thought of he is. Um, and we'll see. We'll see if he gets the job. The other thing we want to touch on is is the potential head coaches. Now, in terms of, like, speculating who it's going to be, I think it's kind of silly right now because I think the GM is going to make that decision. But if some of these guys are hired, like if Peters is hired, a, one name that a lot of people bring up is Mike McDaniel. McDaniel's young. He's the offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they have a, they have a very innovative offense, and I think a lot of Giants fans would be excited if you brought over that pairing. With Poles, you have Eric Bieniemy. With Shane, you have Brian Dabble, and I think those are probably the three favorites. You know, depending on you know which one of those guys gets the job. Ortiz, I don't know what the what the link would be there. Now, Mara did come out and say it's not going to be a. Uh, a, a, uh, I forgot the terminology used, but he basically said it's not going to be a guarantee that we're going to bring over the head coach from the same team that we hire the GM for. But regardless, you would have to think, obviously the GM is going to have a lot of influence. They were responsible for at least partially responsible for bringing some of those coaches into the positions that they currently have. They're comfortable working there. They've had success with these organizations. So you, I would think, depending on who the GM is going to be, you would probably more than likely potentially have some pairings with those GMs. Yeah, don't forget about Don Martindale with the Ravens. That's a guy who I think he interviewed with the Giants, right? A couple years back. Year, yeah. yeah, for Joe years Judge. Back. 
that that season. Yes. So that's a name, of course. Um, that 49ers offensive coordinator uh, kind of cracks me up. I mean, I feel like I love that guy. I don't know if he could be like a leader of men type guy, but just seems super smart, super innovative. And of course, the 49ers offense learning from Shanahan, it's as good as it gets. So um, <laughs> I just don't know if that guy would survive in New York, unfortunately, but I just I don't know. I love him. So um, that's an option. And I think D'Amico Ryan's is a name people bring up too with the 49ers. He's like their linebackers coach, maybe he's play with the Eagles. He's oh yeah, it might be. Important. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. a name, of course. That can you know that can be brought along with uh, Adam Peters. So, um, yeah. I mean, of course, Brian. You say Dabble. I say Dable. I don't know what it is. I'm gonna say Dable. Dable. I've, I've always Dable. heard. I've always heard Dable. So that's what I'm gonna say. Um, yeah. But Dable, of course, you know, came from you no know, come comes from the Bills, and they've had a good offense the past few years. They've really turned Josh Allen into a more accurate passer. It ain't perfect, but it's a lot better from a couple years ago. So, um, yeah. I mean, look, I wish there was more of a clear cut. This is your like this is the number one head coaching candidate out there we don't have that this offseason but maybe john mara uh the future gm see a certain guy and and they think he's the one but you know unfortunately we thought joe judge was the one just a year ago so a lot can change in this business but as you mentioned as a fan we, we can have a lot more patience because at least now the gm and head coach are on the same timeline with joe judge and gettleman it just felt like this was kind of forced it was like a forced marriage arranged marriage whatever you want to call it and it just didn't work out and joe judge made a, a fool of himself uh, towards the end of his tenure so you know we'll find out who that is I, I feel like the head coach or I feel like the GM candidates are more intriguing than the head coaching ones but my philosophy is if you get the right GM most of the, the other pieces will fall in place I feel like if we get the right GM we'll find the right head coach we'll get the players and we'll get our Giants back and they'll be a competitive team by hopefully 2023 is what I'm shooting for because next year seems like a stretch yeah, well, yeah, I, I agree with you. Anything can happen, but more than likely, yeah, next year seems like a stretch uh, for sure uh, for the New York Giants. But like you said, it's about building. It's about growing. Are you worried being now now that Houston fired their head coach, which was crazy to me after just one year, um, but maybe that's because they're trying to hire Flores because we know that Watson likes Flores, so maybe they're trying to keep Watson in Houston. Who knows? But are you worried that with all these coaching vacancies – that the New York Giants are going to have a hard time finding a good coach, or do you just think it'll fall in place once we get our GM? Well, I was actually, I was going to make a video about this right after this, actually, on my channel about just the head coaching opportunities that are out there and which place is the most attractive. And I would have to think the Giants on this list are probably one of the top teams. I mean, we have the Broncos, Dolphins, Jaguars, Vikings, Raiders, Bears, Texans, Giants. And it's like, you know, I know the Broncos are kind of a quarterback away. They have draft equity, which is nice. And the Dolphins are in a pretty nice spot. The Jaguars, if you buy in the Trevor Lawrence. But I think the Giants' job is more attractive than the Vikings. You know, if the Raiders one opens up, I think the Giants might be in a, a better position looking for the future. Uh, I'm not like a big Derek Carr guy personally. Chicago Bears don't have their own first round pick. You're kind of forced into Justin Fields there. And the Texans, I mean, look, they are moving in the right direction, but they have a very rough looking roster over there. You look at the Giants, I mean, you know, two picks in the top seven. You get your own head coach. You possibly can get your own quarterback, depending on what they want from Jones. And I know there's bad contracts on this team, but you can kind of work around that stuff. As I mentioned, because of that, it might take until 2023 to see real results, uh, results here. But I don't know. I feel like the Giants on that list would be like top three for most attractive destinations. Now, 
One thing we didn't really talk about, and everyone knows this, is that John Mara has had a short leash with these head coaches in recent years. So John Mara would have to make that promise to that um, head coaching candidate that they'd be safe for X amount of years, but you can't really do that. So I'm sure he did it with Judge too. That doesn't mean anything. He probably right? did. Yeah, right. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah. So that's the concerning part. But I just think looking at these situations, I mean, like Denver's number one for me. Uh, the Giants and Dolphins are kind of you know tied for number two, honestly. So I don't I don't think we'll miss out on anybody, but. Um, I, I do feel if they want somebody, they'll probably get him. And you know, the Giants are still a very prestigious organization. Like these people are old enough to remember, you know, we're not getting a head coach at 16 years old, right? We've they've seen the glory years of the New York Giants. They know what this organization's all about. Maybe some of that, you know, it's lost its luster in recent years, but I don't know. For the most part, the Giants are still the Giants. And I, I do think if they really love a guy, they'll probably end up getting him. Yeah, which is going to turn me to, and whoever they get, and we'll have our answer hopefully within a week or two in terms of the whole package, the GM, the head coach, and maybe they'll start, not that they're going to name specifics, but maybe they'll start to come out and talk about how they want to build this roster, how they want to shape this roster, um, and we'll see. A lot of people are starting to bring up Daniel Jones. Dan, and you know that's going to be the first person that people bring up because he's the quarterback of the football team. I'm going to give you my take on it. I'm bringing Daniel Jones back next year and, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I know a lot of people are all about the quarterbacks and I'm going to definitely do my research on these quarterbacks. We were talking about before we started doing this, that we're going to do some film reviews together. We'll, you know, we'll write down the quarterbacks, look into him. Kenny Pickett's a hot name. Malik Willis. There's so many, right? Um, Carson Strong's another one. But to me, if I'm a general manager, the way I look at it is this, I'm taking this job. My job relies on the quarterback position. Like if I pick the wrong quarterback or if I put a quarterback into a situation where he's going to fail, I'm going to lose my job. I've seen now that I have an owner and a fan base that is very impatient. And if I miss on a quarterback, I'm screwed. So if it's me knowing that this court, unless you're absolutely blown away, which I honestly don't think the general manager is going to be absolutely blown away. Unless that's the case. If that's the case, you take him no matter what. But if that's not the case, and he likes quarterbacks, but he's not in love with them, I'm waiting a year to take my quarterback because I got to think about my long-term stability. I'm starting to build up this team. I'm starting to improve the offensive line. And then I take my swing. It's almost like I get a free year if I don't draft the quarterback. I get to fill in the defense. I get to fill in the offensive line. Then I get to bring the quarterback into the better situation. And then I'm on a time clock. Then that quarterback better be successful or I could be in big trouble. So I, if, if I'm the GM this year, I don't think there's any circumstance where I would take a quarterback, especially in the first round, second round, maybe, but early in this draft, I'm not taking a quarterback. I think it would be a mistake. I think, I think he puts his job on the line the second he takes that quarterback and it's probably not the ideal year to do it. Yeah. You're right with that philosophy. You know, once you do take the quarterback, you're kind of starting your own clock there. So you better get it right. We know that. But, um, you know, for Jones, it's just when Judge left and Gettleman left, it would, it just seemed more likely that he might not be back next year. Mm -hmm. And we'll see what it is because I, I just think it's the most cost-effective move to keep Jones and play it out. But if they really love a quarterback in this draft, then, like, it is what it is. Like, I'm not – yeah, I'm just I'm not gonna hate it really. I, I can get behind some of these quarterbacks, honestly. I've liked what I've seen from Pickett. I don't know if Willis would go in the top seven, but like maybe. Um Corral is decent. Like it's not like the worst pick in the world, I feel like. I don't know, but 
it's just I feel like they should build up their offensive line. I, I have agreed with you for that for a long time now. It just makes the most sense in the world. Um, it seems like next year's quarterback class is more talented than this one from what we've heard. So um, if they really love a Kenny Pickett and they want to do that, go that route, I mean, you know, it is what it you gotta is. You got to give them a chance. They're the paper. Right. You got to hope that they're right. Right, right. Yeah. Hey, you got to hope, you you hope that the guy goes out there and becomes a top seven, eight quarterback in the league. But for me – I don't think I put my job on the line quite yet. I try to, I try to fill in the other gaps in this roster so that when I bring in the guy, he, he could be very successful, but that's going to be the big question. Now, you know, obviously now that they've fired the head coach, fired the GM, no attachments to anybody. And then the other popular players are going to be Barkley. And we get this question all the time. Who knows? I mean, who knows where they're going to go, but I don't think anybody is safe on this roster past next season. Obviously mm-hmm. like Galladay safe next season. Cause you can't, you know, Leonard Williams is safe next season. Cause you can't get rid of those guys with their contracts, but Outside of next season, the only guys that are safe are Aziz Oljolari, Xavier McKinney, Andrew Thomas, Kadarius Tony, basically anybody drafted within the last two years. <laughs> Outside of that, nobody's safe. And and that's and I think that's what's attractive about this job. They're going to be able to come in, scrap the roster just like Gettleman did. Um, now you're not going to get as much as Gettleman did. There's there's no players on this roster that's going to be able to fetch you what Odell Beckham did now, but they are coming in with an extra first round pick. So it kind of offsets it a bit, I guess. Um, If it was me going into next year, Mike, if I was the general manager, I am not spending a dime in free agency. When I say not spending it, I mean, I'll I'll sign one year deals, (laughs) one year deals, you know, cheap deals, guys like Kyler Fackrell a couple years ago, players like that to fill in some holes, maybe a one-year stopgap at guard. I'm going to let all these players leave. I'm going to get my comp pick for 2023. I'm going to accumulate an extra three or four, fourth or fifth round comp picks in the following draft gives you a little bit more ammunition and maybe trade up into the third round if you like a player or whatever it may be but I'm letting these guys leave I'm, I'm accruing my comp picks and I'm just letting next year play out I'll trade Barkley within season if he's playing great maybe I get a second round pick for him those are moves you have to think about but for me if I'm the GM I'm waiting a year in terms of free agency I'm letting my guys go one year deals roster turnover and then the next year 2023 then I really hit the, the, the ground running getting getting a little bit more aggressive well, that's why this is exciting. You're laying out this great plan right now. And I just feel like if we get a GM with a vision, a, a good process, he'll do pretty much what you just laid out, you know, sign very cheap contracts and get the comp picks and maybe wait a year to really just, you know, hit the ground running in 2023. Um, you know, I don't want to say next year is a waste. There is more, you know, there's stuff to watch for next year, of course, how the young guys still play and how these draft picks in 2022 will pan out, all those type of things. But if you're going into next season as a Giants fan, expect like nine plus wins i just i don't see it it could happen it could it could you know like here's what i'll say like and again i'm not gonna expect it but if they go heavy offensive line and 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 the offensive line is decent next year with the with the rookies and they stay healthy sure with 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 the last place schedule they could win eight or nine games but that's asking a lot you're talking about a team that, that sustained the most injuries this year they have a lot of injury plague players I just think that's asking a lot. But, yeah, it's the NFL. Nobody thought the Eagles would be good this year. Mm. They were good, and that's that's what makes the NFL fun. But I'm with you. I'm going into next year with very limited expectations. I'm not going to put pressure on this GM. I'm not going to put pressure on this head coach. I just want them to start building their culture, as the New York Giants like to say, but building their image, building their future for this football team. If they win five games, so be it. It's something to build up of going into the following season. But you just want to see these young players progress and grow. Another part we didn't talk about is kind of like the ego with some of these guys, especially GMs who, you know, they probably think they they know more than everybody else. But like, 
like how intriguing is it to be that guy to turn around the New York Giants and, and just bring the Giants back? Like that has some, uh, you know, it, it's not like an official thing, but it's probably something that these candidates think about. Like if, if you're that guy that brings the Giants back, you're probably getting the statue at this point for how bad things have been. So um, they might have that on their mind as well. I want to talk about quarterbacks, you know, go back to that real quickly. Like, you talked about like looking for a better guy, you know, if you're unsure or whatever, but like a lot of these like recent great quarterbacks, they had a lot of question marks. Like, you know, I, we talked about Josh Allen, like Mahomes was not a sure thing. Deshaun Watson, not a sure thing. Um, so you kind of got to take that shot sometimes. And it just depends on sometimes the luck of the draw. Like <laughs> a quarterback can have every, you know, every box checked coming out of college and then something goes wrong in the NFL. Um, so you never know. It's kind of, there's some luck involved with this for sure. It's, it's like playing fantasy football. You can draft the best team guys get injured guys on the COVID list, you know, all that crap, but, um, that's just the way it is. So if they really do think that, like, I always go back to Pickett. if Pickett has all the intangibles in their mind, then, you know, it, it's fine with me. I, I, I'm I, not going to cry if they take them. I'll, yeah. I'll there's, the there's just too many people saying like, oh, if the Giants took a quarterback in the first round, it'd be the dumbest pick ever. Like, you can't just say that. Like, you got to see how the guy plays first. You can't just go out there. I mean, is it like the most logical thing to do probably not because the situation here is not ideal but it's also not impossible as you mentioned to sign a stopgap guard take a right tackle at five or seven whatever pick you don't take the quarterback and go from there so take another lineman in the second exactly yeah like it's not impossible and like if we do have good weapons here like that was the intrigue with this giants offense in uh entering 2021 was that oh you have kenny galladay you know really good receiver with detroit oh you have Kadarius tony one of the best players with the ball in his hands and oh you know saquon barkley's back from his injury he's one of the better running backs in the game when he's right so you have those things going for you so it's not like as you said it's not impossible for the giants to be good next year but we also know as fans it's probably not the most likely outcome yeah, and I think I think it also depends on the quarterback. Like, if they keep Jones, I'll probably say there's a higher probability we could have a eight or nine win season than if we have a rookie. Mm -hmm. If you have a rookie, you expect, you know, you expect struggles year one. So I think we got to see what the roster is going to be going into next year, who the head coach is going to be, everything else. Some people have brought this up to me too in terms of the roster construction. To me, I don't care at all. People have told me, do you worry about them coming in similar to when they brought in Betcher and completely changing the scheme? being that they've drafted defensive players to fit this scheme uh, the last three or four years to fit this 3-4 defense. What if a guy comes in and switches to the 4-3? But to me, Mike, I look at the defense. I don't see any real long-term pieces on this defense outside of Xavier McKinney and, you know, Aziz Oljolari, perhaps. And outside of that, I don't really see it. So if a guy wants to come in and they want to completely scrap the scheme, they want to go 4-3, they want to have a completely different philosophy, I see no issues with it because it's not just about next year. It's about the next five years. It's about building your team the way you want to build it. You know, Ojalari actually came to mind when you said that because I don't see him as a 4-3 defensive yeah. end. I don't think he's, like, big enough for that. Well, tall enough, just not, like, you know, weight-wise. So that's that's a concern I have, but it's not, like, enough where I'm, like, just going crazy about it. So um, could we see a scenario where, like, a new defensive coordinator comes in, switches to a 4-3 more, and, you know, we see Ojalari take a step back? I mean, sure, but there's an adjustment period. Maybe. I mean, this might be crazy. Maybe they trade him. I have no idea. Like, they he might see it and be like, well, this guy's not going to work here. He's had a good rookie season. Let's just we did get it with JPP because we didn't think he'd fit the scheme. Exactly. Although he did fit a 
before in Tampa, yeah. but that's a different story. Um, that was <laughs> yeah. So uh, they might have that that thought process there. It's it's interesting. I think a lot of guys on this defense. I mean, we have talented guys. There's no doubt about it. So it's it's not a bad defense. That's for sure. The defense was not the problem this year. They've had their peaks and valleys. We get that, of course. But you know, for the most part, the Giants have a defense that I think is just around league average, and that's good enough. And the, the problem, of course, was that the offense was so historically bad that it resulted in a four and thirteen season. If the uh, if the Giants' offense played like the defense, we might have been an eight nine win football team. You know what I mean? So it would have been a much better outcome. But when you're putting up like eight points a game the final six games, it's like, oh, you can't win with that. So you know that's why. Yeah, and who knows? You know, maybe next year we get a Brian Dable, Dable comes in and the offense looks completely different, and that makes the defense look better because they have an offense that's better assisting them. That's what's fun about it. Sometimes you're surprised at football, but like you said, we're going to temper our expectations going into next year, and let's see what they do in the offseason, which is going to bring us to good football teams, something that we're not familiar with <laughs> as New York Giants fans. Um, this is actually the first – oh, actually, no, they no – is it that yet? Yeah, no, is this the second year they had seven playoff teams in each conference, or is it the first? Uh, second year, I believe. Yeah, it's the second year. Okay, the second year they, yeah, because I remember the Bears were the seventh seed last year, so you're right. So the second year they have, uh, so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a wild card game on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So you get three days of football and wild card re- weekend. That's really cool, and we have a lot of good games. Um, two teams from within our division, which we'll talk about, but we'll start with the AFC contest first on uh, Saturday good matchup here because the Raiders are coming in. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know they're coming in hot. The Raiders are coming in hot. They just put, they just played a must win game against the chargers to even make it, which Mike, what did you think of that game? Did you think that was going to result in a tie? Once it got to <laughs> overtime between the Raiders? I thought they were just going to kneel the ball out, let they yeah. let both teams make the playoffs, but the Raiders ended up kicking the field goal. Yeah, without uh, two minutes left or so, I really started to think, oh, my gosh, this might actually happen. And if I was a Steelers fan, I'd probably have to jump out a window because, like, imagine, like, you're going to make the playoffs unless a tie happens. And they were that close to making it happen. But if you know one thing, if I know one thing about the Raiders is that they always have game winning field goals and Daniel Carlson's a stud kicker. So it was probably going to happen anyway. So that was a great game, though. One of the best games of the year. That was a great game. And this might be a good game. We'll see. Um, you got the Raiders going against the Cincinnati Bengals. Burrow is hot as any quarterback in football. I think he's got like 27 touchdowns and zero picks over his last six games. Like mm. something ridiculous like that. He threw for like 1,100 yards in two games. Like he's been ridiculous uh, down the stretch and at least put his name in the conversation for MVP. That's how well he's played. Cincinnati's at home. Bengals favored by six in this game. What do you think? What do you think? Who do you like in this game? Well, I do expect the Bengals to win, and I, I've said this on my spread pick show for a while. I'm not a big believer in the Raiders, but they always find the way. And I, I'm like, my mindset is that I think they put so much into last week's game that like they may just hit a wall finally. Like they've had so much adversity this entire year. Baltimore basically didn't play last week. They basically rested everybody, so they have two weeks, basically, if you will, to prepare for this game. I think Baltimore wins by a decent amount, or not Baltimore. I think the uh, the Bengals, Cincinnati wins by a decent amount. I would say like ten plus points. I mean, of course, anything could happen. It's the NFL playoffs, but I'm not expecting the Raiders. Like they just been through too much this year. They have put so much into the past few games here to keep their season alive, and just so much has gone right. And the Bengals, I feel like, are in a different class roster wise. I mean, the defenses for these teams are pretty even, in my opinion. Cincinnati can stop the run. I think they're fifth best in the NFL stopping the run, so that's going to help them out a lot. Kind of force their 
Derek Carr to beat them, which may not be a good thing, but it's hard for me to sit here and think that Darren Waller's 100%, and at that point, it's Hunter Renfro. they got to find a way to stop him. I don't know if they have the guy to do it, but if they can find a way to limit him and Burrow's still playing the way he has the past six games, as you mentioned, then I think the Bengals win this game by at least 10 points. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't know the weather conditions. I haven't looked into the specifics of that, but I'm with you. I think the Bengals are going to cover. I think the Raiders, like you said, it was a really good point you brought up about the overtime game. They're going to come in a little bit winded, and I just don't think they match up. The Raiders, to me, are probably the biggest surprise team. Them or the Eagles are the biggest surprise team in the NFL this year. But I'd even probably say the Raiders above the Eagles because the Eagles played a really soft schedule. Like, you look at their schedule, they didn't beat anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, The Raiders did. The Raiders beat some impressive opponents. So, I, I was surprised. I thought the Raiders would be like a five, six win team before the year started. Carr had a really good year. And like you said, had to overcome a lot of adversity to even get to this point, obviously with the, the whole situation with Gruden and, and everything else, but uh, Henry Ruggs as well. So I like the Bengals in this. I think they're going to win by at least seven. You know, I, I think they will cover the six and I think Burrow will have a big game. The, I guess you worry a little bit about his first start in the playoffs um, you know, a lot of times you'll see a quarterback struggles first start in the playoffs. So that may be something you worry about a little bit, but I just think Cincinnati's too talented um, in this matchup. I do think they'll cover and I think they'll beat the Raiders. Yeah, um, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Next game up is an interesting one to me. Um, Buffalo favored by four. I'll start with this one. We'll, we'll kind of alternate. And before we started, I told you I was going to pick one that I think is the upset of the week. I think I think New England's going to win. I, I don't think they're just going to cover – I think they're going to win. You look at the weather conditions in Buffalo. The last time these two teams played each other, remember New England ran the I think they threw the ball two times all game. They ran the ball like 60 times in that historic performance. I look at Buffalo. I just think the type of game this is going to be, I saw that the weather is going to be like eight degrees with wind. Buffalo, what is the one thing they do horribly is run the football. What is the one thing that New England does really well? It's run the football. And I think in these conditions, in a playoff circumstance, I don't see Josh Allen going out there and being able to put the team on his back against this New England defense. And I definitely like New England getting the four. And I actually think they're going to win outright. Um, I'll probably play it safe when I bet on this game. I'll probably just take the four points. But because if they lose by a field goal, you still win. But I think it'll at least be a close loss if New England does lose. But I really think Bill Belichick's going to have his team ready to go. And I think Mac Jones and the New England Patriots are going to take down the Buffalo Bills in the first round. That's going to be my upset of a wild card weekend. Hey, I could see it. It's it's a game that really can go both ways. I think the weather, as you mentioned, is very important for a game like this. Uh, these guys played a couple weeks ago. It was at New England, and Buffalo handled it not very easily, but they had control of that game for most of it. I just think roster-wise, I look at Buffalo, they're, they're much better. I, I just think, you know, the Patriots do what you're supposed to do in playoff football, run the ball, you know, open up running lanes and play good defense. And in a way, they are putting a lot on Josh Allen, which is, uh, you know, the tricky part in this game. But they've ran the ball better since having uh, Devin Singletary be like their featured back. They've tried Zach Moss all year, Matt Breda. Seems like Singletary's finally given them a consistent running game for the first time, although it's a small sample size. So I'm hoping Buffalo has some semblance of of a run game and Josh Allen is probably the best player on the field in that game. So I'm just hoping I'll go go with you on that for sure. Yeah. Him and him and Stefan Diggs have had such a great connection in recent games. And 
I don't know. It's going to be tough for them. And Mac Jones, the first playoff game, tough environment, cold weather. I don't feel great about that either. I think Buffalo probably learned some things from that first matchup. They now know how to handle the Patriots in these not-so-ideal weather conditions. So I can see it going either way. Um, I don't feel great about the uh, minus four. I think it might be like a three-point game at the end of it. But I did pick Buffalo to cover on my show, so I'll just say Buffalo wins by four-plus in this one. All right, let's. let's <laughs> that'll be the first game we disagree on. I think that's a really good game, though. I think it'll be within seven points either way. I think that'll yeah. be a really good game. Um, next up to me is the easiest bet of the week, in my opinion. <laughs> I think I think you agree with me on this. We yeah. talked about it briefly before it started, and I don't know if this is the line currently. Last I checked, it was uh, Philadelphia Eagles going up up uh, up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs have had, you know, unravel a little bit with the Antonio Brown situation, but it seems like they got it together the last week of the season. They look like they're in good shape going in. They did have that scare against the Jets where they didn't look like they were playing that well. But if I remember correctly last year, the Bucs didn't seem like they were going in super hot either when the playoffs started. They had a little bit of a scare against Washington, actually, in the wild card <laughs> round uh, before they really hit the high gear. And maybe that'll be something similar this year. Who knows? But that was in Washington because Washington won the division. This game's in Tampa Bay. You got Jalen Hurts, who is a one-dimensional quarterback, in my opinion. Now, the Eagles may be able to establish the run, but if there's one thing that the Tampa Bay Bucks defense does well, it is stop the run. Um, they are very good against the run. I remember when the Giants went up against them, that was something that I, I hit home with. So I think that's a really good battle there. Can the Eagles establish the run? If the Eagles are going to have any chance to win this game outright, which I don't think they're going to, but if they're going to have any chance, they have to create turnovers and they have to get out to the lead. If the Eagles fall behind by 7 to 10 points, it's lights out. If Hurts has to throw the football consistently, I think Tampa Bay picks on him, and I think it's going to be a blowout if that's the case. So Philadelphia has to get out to a lead, and they have to create some turnovers against Tom Brady, and that's asking a lot going up against Tom Brady. He's been in these situations before. I just don't think the 8.5 is enough. I think it's going to be like a 14-point win by the Bucs. might even be more. Maybe I'm crazy. I hate the Eagles with a passion, but that's my favorite bet of the week. I would lay the eight and a half, and I might bet a couple hundred bucks on this game. I think the Bucs are going to cover, and I'm fairly confident in that. Yeah, I honestly feel the same way about this one. I I, I was going to say Bucks by 17. You said 14, so same thing. I think we expect a big Buccaneers win. You brought up the biggest part. The Eagles are – they've been a really good rushing football team, but, like, the Buccaneers' defense is top three in the league at stopping the run. So, like, you're going to force Jalen Hurts, a – you know, first playoff star, rookie head coach and Sirianni to go out there on the road, former champions and, and beat Tampa. It's just it's a tough sell. And I think the first five minutes or so, as you mentioned, will definitely de uh, determine this game. If the Eagles can get off to that quick lead, maybe start up seven, nothing, 10, nothing, then maybe they can find a way to kind of coast the rest of the game and keep it close. But like. We saw that game a few years ago with the Houston Texans and Chiefs. You know, there's some teams that are so freaking good, like Tampa, that, you know, even if they're down by a good amount of points, they can find a way to come back. I don't think Tampa's in any danger of losing this game. That could be a cold take by me. I know we both hate the Eagles. I'm trying to take that bias out of it here, but like, I don't know, man. This is Tom Brady, and they've kind of figured things out. They had a rough game against the Saints when they got shut out a few weeks ago, but since that game, they've been much better offensively. I still wish they had Godwin, still wish they had A.B., but you know, having Mike Evans, having Gronk, and having Tyler Johnson, guys like that, um, yeah, I think they get Ronald Jones, the running back, back for this game. So they should be in a better spot. I, I saw Shaq Barrett, the edge rushers, coming back too. So they're getting healthier, and I just think Tampa wins this game by, I'm going to call it 17. Yeah, I think Tampa will get picked off at some point. I'm not picking them to go to the Super yeah. Bowl, but I do think that they make quick work of the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. 
Um, next up, we got the 49ers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. So our second team within our division. This one in Dallas. Dallas had a great year. What did they win with? 12 games, Mike? 12 and 5? Dallas? Uh, pull it up real quickly. They were 12 and 5, yeah. Yeah, 12 and 5. They had a great year. Again, soft schedule. Didn't really beat a lot of great opponents. I don't think they had a win against a team with more than nine wins, if I'm not mistaken. But they're a really good team. They, 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 obviously, their defense this year took a major step up. They have a really good offensive line. They're able to establish the run. Dak has some playoff experience. I think he's got three starts to his name. You're going up against the 49ers. They're battle-tested as well. They went to the Super Bowl two years ago. And this, to me, and I'm very curious to get your take on this, is the worst draw the Dallas Cowboys could have asked for, in my opinion. The 49ers are coming in really hot. I would have rather faced the Arizona Cardinals than the San Francisco 49ers. Um, like I said, the 49ers are battle-tested. Cardinals have never been to the playoffs, and the 49ers are coming in hot. They won seven out of their last nine. They beat the Rams twice during that stretch. They also won in Cincinnati who was playing really well down the stretch as well during that nine-game stretch. I think this is a coin flip game. I really do. And if I was going to bet this game, I'd probably take San Francisco money line. Um, I could easily see Dallas winning. Don't get a twist. And if they do win, I think it'll be right around where the spread is, which is three. So if I had to pick a team, I'm taking the 49ers. I easily could see them winning. And I wouldn't even be surprised that the 49ers did further damage in the playoffs if they were to win this game. They're hot, they're dangerous, and they're a team that can establish the ground game, much like Dallas. And that's going to be, and to me, that's the key to this game. Which team is able to establish the run better? Which team is able to do it more successfully? Because with the Cowboys, we know Dallas is a defense that is going to try to create turnovers. They're very good at that. They're very good at creating turnovers. If they force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw and the 49ers can't establish the run, 49ers can be in trouble. And I think it's the same thing for Dallas. I think that's got to be that's going to that's going to be the deciding factor of who wins this game. But if I'm getting points, I like San Francisco in this game. Yeah, I could see the Niners winning. I think I actually picked them to win this game. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sound like the NFC East non-Giants hater here, but at the same time, I definitely think this is a matchup where you know, San Francisco could have a good game because, you know, Dallas's defense for as good as they've been turnover wise against the pass for the most part, you can run on them. So San Fran, with the help of Elijah Mitchell, their rookie running back has been, you know, they've been a great rushing attack this year. So my concern, and you brought this up, is Jimmy Garoppolo. If he has one of those games where he has to play from behind by multiple scores and throws two interceptions, then it's probably over. But if the Niners can just control the game, be the ones that have momentum on their side for the most part, then I like their chances. And I think this is a bad matchup for Dallas. I mean, these Niners guys are so freaking tough to tackle. Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Ayuk, ball in their hands, some of the toughest guys in the NFL to tackle. And that's a tough task for a Dallas defense that has some young guys on it. So, you know, that's a concern for me. But, you know, as for Dak, it's a big playoff game for him. He's known as a guy who's like, eh, right around the cusp of top 10 quarterback, but not much playoff success yet. He has to get that win eventually. At least Jimmy, Jimmy's been to a Super Bowl, but. I think if I had to guess right now, I'm picking the Niners to win this game. You got them to win outright. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm leaning that way myself, actually. If I I think this is the other second potential upset that I could see uh, on Wild Card Weekend. Let's go over to the next game, which I cannot see an upset. It is the biggest spread, and that's the Steelers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs coming in as a 12-and-a-half point favorite. And this is not the same Kansas City Chiefs team that we saw when they played the Giants. That team was still finding their way. The Giants arguably probably should have won that game. Uh, the Chiefs beat them 20 to 17, but you look at them down the stretch, they've won. Let me see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine out of their last 10 games. Their only loss coming in Cincinnati. And to me, they're the odds on favorite to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC by a mile. 
They played the Steelers in week 16. They beat them by 26 uh, in Kansas City. This game will be played in Kansas City as well. I think they're going to ball them out. I mean, I, I know I know Roethlisberger, he's been in the playoffs before. He's got a Super Bowl title. And the Steelers, I will tip my cap, have a good defense. But like you said earlier, I just think the Chiefs are the type of offense where it really doesn't matter. And they're starting to click. They're starting to hit on all cylinders. I mean, you look at their point totals, 28, 31, 36, 34, 48, their last five games. So they're putting up points. They put up 36 points on this uh, Steelers team just a few weeks ago. I don't think the spread's enough. I, I I think they'll win by at least 14. Maybe the Steelers get a backdoor cover, but um, it's a lot of points to lay. I understand. And you got to give Ben respect with that Steelers team, and they're very well coached with Tomlin. I just think the Chiefs are a much better football team. I, I think they're going to cover that spread. Yeah, they're just outmanned. I, I respect both coaches very much, you know, Reed and Tomlin, but – you just look at these rosters and the situations they're in. You have one quarterback who's basically one game away from retirement and one that has a whole career ahead of him and might be the best quarterback in football right now. So, you know, it is 12 and a half. And I do think even for the Steelers to cover that, I feel like something crazy has to happen, whether it's like a, a punt return touchdown or like a a three or four sack game from TJ Watt. Maybe Cam Hayward has a few himself. Like just one of those type of games where things that just unravel for the Chiefs. And even if things do unravel for KC, they're still probably going to win the game. I don't really see a scenario where uh, the Steelers win this game. If they do, you know, hats off to them. That's amazing. But I just think, you know, Pittsburgh has a very bad run defense this year. That does not bode well in the playoffs. I saw that the Chiefs starting running back Edwards Alaire is out for this game, but they have been fine with Daryl Williams, the backup, so that they'll be fine there. And it's just tough to shut down Patrick Mahomes for an entire game. It's just, you know, the Steelers defense, while they still get to the quarterback, is not that same Steelers defense that we've been accustomed to seeing for the past decade plus. So there's some holes there, and I think Andy Reid can exploit that. And I just think that one team's way more talented than the other. It sucks that it's Ben Roethlisberger's last game. And he kind of said, I don't know if you heard his quote about Roethlisberger. He said, well, he basically said, we expect to lose this game, but let's go out there and have fun. So he, he basically said that. So, I mean, really, yeah, the way he worded it was very interesting. I've never seen that from a quarterback before, but at least the guy's honest. All right, I'll, I'll put it that way. So, you know, nobody expects the Steelers to win, but crazier things have happened. I think they need a couple of uh, crazy things to go their way. But, you know, I just I think ultimately the Chiefs are the much better team and they probably should win by two touchdowns, as you said. They're be- I mean, the Steelers only chance in this game is Najee Harris has to. Yeah. Just- just chew up the clock all, all game and, and and force a couple of turnovers against Mahomes. And I suppose it's possible, but Harris is only averaging like 3.9 yards of carry. Uh, the Steelers offensive line is not what it once was either. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that. I think the Chiefs will stuff the box and they'll force Ben to have to try to beat him. And in the end, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. So I'm with you. I think the Chiefs will cover that spread. I think they'll put up enough points to I'm, – I'm looking at it like, I don't know, 31-17, 31-14 type game. Mm-hmm. I think they will cover the 12 and a half. Next up is arguably the best game of, of the week. Um, two NFC West ba- uh, rivals. Cardinals taking on the L.A. Rams in L.A. Rams favored by four. I'll let you start on this one, Mike. Yeah, I, I do like the Rams more in this game. I, I just think with the Cardinals, you know, there's no DeAndre Hopkins. I think the Cardinals have quietly lost like four of their last five games, which is not good going into the playoffs. So they have that against them. And I just think for the Rams, they have too much on the line. You know, a team that has given up so many of their draft picks, you know, for Matthew Stafford, Von Miller, and they they just have to win this game. You know, plain and simple. You can't be a round one exit. I think Sean McVay recognizes that, of course. And 
I know that they lost one of their better safeties, the Rams, but I, I'm not like all that concerned about it. The Cardinals have just not looked right recently. They did beat Dallas, which was nice, but you know, I, I guess Kyler Murray when he's running is one of the best threats in football overall, but if they can contain Kyler, I just don't see much from this Cardinals offense. And you look at the Rams, you know, trading for Stafford, it's a lot, you know, Stafford's never won a playoff game. I think he's been there a couple times in Detroit, but never won a game. So this could, this could be his first opportunity. And our old friend Odell Beckham has one playoff game in his career and played like absolute dog crap. So he yeah. wants to bounce back as well. So there are some narratives some storylines for the Rams who are the home team. I, I just think they're the better team on paper. And I think yeah, I would take McVay over uh, Kingsbury still. So I'm going to go with the Rams there, not by a ton, but I could see them winning by maybe four to seven points. Yeah, the uh, Cardinals, like you said, are coming in stumbling. They they finished the year 11 and six, but they lost four to their last five. So before that, what were they? They were they only had two losses and they had they were 10 and two. Well, they were like seven and zero, oh, right? At one point, and then they yeah, lost. They, to the they, Packers. Yeah, they were seven and zero oh at one point, and then then it started to unravel. Their first loss came against the Packers, then the Panthers, then the Rams, who they're playing this week. They split the season series. Then they lost at the Lions, 30 to 12. Mm. Um, they lost to the Colts and then they lost to the Seahawks the last week of the season game didn't mean a whole lot. So I don't know how much stock I'm putting into that, but first playoff game for Kyler Murray, first playoff game for Cliff Kingsbury as the head coach in the NFL. And like you said, the Cardinals aren't completely healthy either. I'm not completely sold on the Rams though. I will say that like to me, the Rams who were my preseason pick to go to the Super Bowl, the Rams, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule right now. They kind of, they kind of stumbled a little bit too towards the end. So I'm not sold on the Rams in terms of being a team that I think is going to go far in the playoffs, but I do think they'll find a way to win this game. The four points is tough for me. I almost want to take Arizona because I think they could lose by a field goal. Um, If I had to pick, though, I will pick the Rams. I think the Rams will slightly cover more experience there. Like you said, the better head coach. Stafford has never won a playoff game either, though, so I, I worry about that a little bit, but he's also never had a team like this one. Um, it'll be a good game though. Two teams very familiar with one another. Neither team to me, I think out of the three teams in the West, the 49ers are the best team right now, um, going into the playoffs, the way that they're playing right now. But I do think the Rams will get the win. I'll have them win by a touchdown. So I think we agreed on every game except for the New England and the Buffalo game. I think we, let me go over. We both said Cincinnati will cover. We both said the Tampa Bay will cover. We both like San Francisco. We, yeah, we agree on everything except for the Buffalo game. So one of us probably, probably not a good thing. Probably not. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so if you listen to this, bet. Uh, well, I don't know who you want to pick, but don't don't agree with our picks because if we agree, we're probably gonna. <laughs> but, it's, but but it was a lot of fun. Um, we'll see how we do. I'm definitely gonna be betting on some of the games now that it's legal in New York. If I had to bet one, I'll tell you right now, I'm hammering home. The Eagles and Bucks game, I love that spread. I hope it doesn't go up. Matter of fact, I'll look at it on my phone after this podcast to see if I can get the spread as is because I love it at eight and a half. Um, and I'm probably going to hammer home the Chiefs. I Even though it's a huge spread, I think the Chiefs cover. I think they cover relatively easily. So those will be the two games that I'm most comfortable betting on uh, this weekend. Yeah, there's some tough games to pick here, of course. Some closer spreads than others. Um, I'm kind of with you. I love Tampa. Um I could see the Niners pulling off the upset. I kind of like that one as well. And kind of on that same tier, I'll put KC. I kind of want to stay away from the Buffalo, New England. I want to stay away from Cincy and um, Las Vegas because every time I pick against Las Vegas, they win. So I just have, you know, a lot of uh, bad history with them, of course. But the Rams game should be close as well with the Cardinals. So I just think my favorite bets would honestly be Tampa versus a number. And then you have, you know, San Fran pulling off the upset and even KC, you know, winning by 12 and a half or more. So I'll go with that. 
we'll see. Gonna be a lot of fun. Mike, man, it was fun doing this with you. Next week, we'll pick the next week of games, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, talk about the new GM and head coach. Yeah. Um, or at least the new GM, I would think, by next week. We'll know. We may not know the, know the head coach, but it should be a lot of fun, and at least maybe we'll get a list of the head coaches that are coming in. Um, and I'm just excited as a New York Giant fan that we finally have a direction uh, where this team may be headed, and it can't be much worse than it's been. Exactly. I want to ask you how how excited are you about Cam Reddish? That was a nice trade. Yeah, good call. We should have talked about that during the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I I think I think I think we robbed him. Leon Rose. I think robbed him. And I mean, granted, I guess you could look at it like Kevin Knox is the same age, and both of them are former top ten picks. Knox was nine, and Reddish is ten. But Reddish has shown some promise, and Reddish yeah. has actually improved this year. He's shooting thirty eight percent from three. He's a great defender, which is the knock on Knox, which is why I don't think Thibodeau plays him. Because Knox doesn't play a lick of defense. And th that's the one thing that the Knicks are really missing uh, from last year. The defense has taken a huge step back um, since we lost Reggie Bullock. So hopefully he could come in, be that good on-ball defender. And he's still really young. He's 22 years old, former teammate of R.J. Barrett. And let's go get Zion Williamson now. If we <laughs> and we'll have the Duke trio in New York. That that That's my hopes right now. But, yeah, I think the Knicks robbed him, man. I thought it was a great trade. Yeah, I don't know why exactly Atlanta did it. I know Reddish, I think, has had maybe some injuries in his career, right? But like, I'm sure not... he missed a lot of time he had injuries. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's still not worth trading him for Kevin freaking Knox. Like, what has he shown in the NBA, you know? So I, I don't get it, honestly. So they got a first round pick, but it's a heavily protected Yeah, first protected round. one. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I hate to give the Knicks a lot of credit, but it looks like right now they got the much better end of that deal. So yeah, that's, that's, Leon a Rose has done a good job. We haven't gotten a superstar yet, but he's made a lot of good, good moves so far since he's been the GM for the Knicks. And it's all about, to me, it's all about accruing young talent and future draft capital um, to be able to get yourself a superstar. Eventually, eventually you're going to have to trade for one more than likely. And the more young talent you have on this roster, the more draft capital that you're able to retrieve, the more you're going to be able to give up to, uh, to get one of these guys. So I, I think it's a good move and we'll see what the Knicks do, but yeah, it's exciting times as a Knicks fan. Um, hopefully they have a strong second half like they did. It was kind of Kind of the same thing they did with Rose last year. It happened right around this time. And then the Knicks had that strong second half after they brought Rose in. Hopefully Reddish does the same thing. And I don't think the Knicks are done. I think they're still going to make another move or two, uh, you know, with this roster. Maybe they bring in a point guard. I don't know. I don't even know who's available. But I think they're going to try to make another move or two. That's what I think for my team, too. I would love Reggie Bullock, by the way. He'd be such a perfect fit for the Nets. Um, but we were in that spot a few years ago. We took a chance on uh, Jalil Okafor. He was a former, like, top five pick. So, I mean, you know, teams in that situation where you're kind of just around 500, you just want to take a shot on young talent, you're pretty much – the Knicks are not, like, a full-on rebuilding team, but it makes more sense to get younger. You know that, of course. Yeah, of so, course. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't see the downside in that move. Of course, it, you could lose a first-round pick depending on where it ends up, but, like, still, Cam Reddish is 22. That's basically a first-round pick right there. That's, like, a young guy. So, um, to me, there's just no downside to it. Yeah, from what I read, the only reason the Hawks were doing it, because they, 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 did, they didn't think they were going to extend Reddish. Oh, okay. So, they said, all right, let's trade him and get something for him. But, yeah, the way that that pick is protected, it can't be any lower than 19. I think it's 18. Mm. If, if they finish 18 or lower, it gets backed up another year. Then it's 16 or lower, it gets backed up another year. And then if it's 14 or lower, the, the next two years, it becomes two second-round picks. So mm. the best that pick could be is the 15th overall pick in three years. So wow. that's the best. And in mm. the NBA, 15th overall even, you're usually not going to get a superstar. So I think it was worth the shot, and, and we'll bring him in here and hope he does a good job. I'm excited. We're playing his former team tomorrow, so I'm excited to see how he does. <laughs> Um, and hopefully the Knicks keep up their winning ways. They're starting to play better. Um, just hope they make the playoffs this year right now. The Eastern Conference, by the way, I was looking at the standings today. 
The it's it's been a complete flip in the NBA. You look at you look at the standings right now. The Knicks are on the outside looking in at twenty one and twenty one. When ten teams make the playoffs, they're tied with Boston, uh, who right now is the ten seed. But I guess Boston owns a tiebreaker. The Lakers have the same record as the Knicks, and they're the seven seed in the West. Portland's the ten seed at sixteen and twenty five. So the Eastern Conference has gotten much better. And the biggest shocker when I was looking at it, the Hawks right now at seventeen and twenty three. I didn't see that coming. Mm. The Eastern Conference is loaded this year. That's weird. It's always been the opposite, too. I feel like ever since I followed the NBA, the Western Conference was always the stats conference, and the East was like that conference where you can probably get in the playoffs with like 33 wins. So it's kind of weird now. It's like shifting gears, but there's a lot of young talent in the Eastern Conference now. Obviously, the Nets built their team over there, and you know we've seen some other teams. Even Chicago built a great team over there as well. I think they're in first place right now. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's more talent coming over here. So not a good thing for us, but I guess it's good for the Eastern Conference. Yeah, not a good thing for us. I wish it was the way it used to be, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the Knicks get it together and make the playoffs. I think they will. I don't know if they're going to get a top six seed. They're three games out there, but I think they'll get in at least a playing series and we'll take it from there. RJ Barrett's actually looked really good the yeah. last mm-hmm. three or four games or so, which is good to see. But we're going to close it out now. Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully I'll have this up in about an hour. Not that you care if you're listening because it's already up. But uh, <laughs> Mike, good job. We'll talk next week. All right, you got it. Thanks for listening, guys.